0: Good morning. My name is Anthony Bliss. I am one of the pastors at Loami Christian Church. Um, and I can see that even when we have church at Loami, there's a similarity that we're having today, and it's that everyone seems to be scared of the preacher. I don't, like it's, we're going to make you pray if you get too close or something. I don't know. But either way, it's great to see you all here this morning. It is a joy to be able to partner together in unity as two churches coming together. And I love that we can do this. We can sit with members from a different church. We can share time doing the kids offering. We can just work in so many different ways. It's just a blessing that we can do this um, because... We are living in one of the most divisive moments in our culture that any of us have ever seen. It's absolutely bonkers. And what's weird is we've never had more reason to not get along. We've never been given more reasons to hate each other, to separate, to divide up than we do today. And, you know, what a fun moment, right? to be alive for this, Um, because you can uh, now because of the internet, probably not because of the internet, it just made it worse, you can find a corner of the internet where people will pick any kind of argument and make it the argument of their life and hate each other and spit anger and all kinds of nasty stuff at each other. Uh, One of the favorite things that we like to hate each other over in this moment of our culture is politics, right? It's like, oh, you don't have the same political view as me? Well, then you're practically Hitler. And then it's, oh, do you share the same views as me? Well, they're not the same enough, so you're still practically Hitler. It doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't even have to be serious things anymore. Like, we've divided up, we've we've taken to dividing up over things that really don't matter a whole lot. You know, there's places where it's like, oh, do you only like nice, slow, Oscar-winning movies? Well, then you're an uppity snob who probably drinks every drink with your pinky in the air. Or if the people are like, oh, you like Marvel movies? Oh, well, then you've just got a simple little brain that's distracted by bright lights and loud noises because we don't have to get along about that stuff. And what's even more fun is because of the Internet, everything is permanent. Arguments that used to come and go now stick around over and over again. Did you know that people on the, ar- on the Internet are still arguing over whether or not the door in Titanic had enough room for Rose and Jack? See, they're passionate people about this kind of stuff, right? So whatever you're arguing about, maybe you just don't have time for those pickle haters in your life, whatever it might be, um, we have never had more reasons to disagree, to divide up, and to not get along. And I would love to say that over the course of history, the church has been different, but it hasn't. The church was meant to be this one beautiful body Scattered throughout cultures, scattered throughout nations, scattered throughout ethnicities, scattered throughout economic lines. It was meant to be this one beautiful thing that represented the beauty of our God all over the world, but now we have thousands of different Christian denominations, thousands of different. Isn't that crazy? Okay, now, Christians being people who agree that there is a... Creator God, who made all things and who made us as humans to be uh, reflections, images of his goodness and light to the world. People who believe that humans, rather than being God's light to the world, chose to do kind of our own thing and dive into selfishness and sin. Who believe that because of that, God sent... Jesus into the world to be an offering, to deal with our disobedience, to pay the price for our disobedience, so that we could once again be reunited in a relationship with God, okay? That's a very specific set of beliefs, and yet thousands of times over the last many, many years, Christians have decided we can believe all that stuff, but we can come up with other reasons why we can't get along, why we can't share a church building, while we can't worship together, while we can't sit by, side by side in the pews. And so rather than being different than our culture, we've in many ways just gone with the flow of division that has always existed in the selfishness of humanity. And in some ways Christians have set the pace and that's a heartbreaking thing to see because that is not what Jesus wanted for his people. In fact, in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed right before he went to the cross. Okay, That's a terrifying thing. You see scriptures talking about how he was sweating blood and he was filled with anxiety over this moment, but he still took time to stop and pray for not just the disciples that were going to go on and do ministry without him, but all of the Christians throughout the centuries, us, who would become believers and put our faith in Jesus because of their message. Here's what he prayed. In John chapter 17, verse 18, it says, As you sent me into the world, this is Jesus praying to the Father, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them, his disciples, into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that's us, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So one of the last things on Jesus's mind before he went to face the scary stuff of the cross was that we would be a united people. And it is long past time that the church took that seriously. And so our main thought for today is that our united God calls for a united people. There's a little spot on the front of your bulletins there with these points kind of laid out if you want to read those. And so our united God calls for a united people. Well, if Christians haven't historically been that great at being united, that begs the question then, how do we become a united people? Well, that's what Warren Rosie, Michael Hinnon, and myself are going to give you. This morning, we're going to give you three ways. Now, they got to keep honking, right, when we're giving the important part. It would have been fine if I'm talking about Rose on that door, and my, you know. but this is the important stuff. So Michael and Warren and I are going to give you three ways that we can be a united people. And I say that. I say that there's going to be three preachers because I did not want you to see me walk off the stage in a minute and go, whoa, that was the shortest sermon ever. This is great. Now we're going to be able to eat. I didn't want you to be overwhelmed with disappointment. No, there's three preachers this morning. So, um, but we practice, so hopefully it doesn't take all day. But when you get three preachers together, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but I wanted you to be aware of that. Now, to answer our question, how do we be a united people? We're going to spend the bulk of our time in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Now you'll notice over the course of this service, we are reading certain passages multiple times. That is not by accident. We want these truths to be ingrained in us. If Jesus took unity in his church so seriously, we need to take it seriously. And so we're going to revisit a couple of these passages over and over in our time today. Now Ephesians, if you don't know, it is one of the books that's in the New Testament of our Bibles. But it's not really a book, it's more of a letter It was written by a man named Paul who was an apostle of Jesus. He was a church planter. He was a pastor. He traveled all over the Roman world planting churches here, there, and everywhere. And then after he would leave from planting one church to go on to plant another church, he would often write letters to these churches that he planted to give some correction if things got a little off, to give some extra teaching, or sometimes they would write to him with just questions. And so Paul would write these letters, and his letters make up the bulk of our New Testament. And this particular letter, he's writing from prison, because he's been arrested for preaching about Jesus. So we're going to read Ephesians 4, start in verse 1. Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So Paul starts by saying, you guys need to live up to your calling. And what that means is that when we get saved by Jesus then we are called, we are invited by Jesus to follow in his footsteps, to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to show grace and mercy and kindness like Jesus. We are to live every moment as Christians. Every moment of our lives is meant to let people see the goodness of our God. And everything that Paul says about this, when he talks about living up to that calling, living like Jesus, everything he says here then goes on to talk about unity. And what's required to be people who are united. He gives this list, like humility. That means I don't need to get my way all the time. I love to get my way all the time. It's my favorite thing to get my way all the time. I get grumpy when I don't get my way all the time. But Jesus says we need to let that go. He says patience. Isn't waiting brutal? It takes so long, and patience, and you don't always work as fast as I want you to, but I need to let that go. He says, I love the last thing he says, he's like, bearing with one another. You know what that means? Put up with each other. That I have to put up with you when you don't do what I like, or when you do things that are wrong. I have to put up with you when you're mean, or selfish, or slow, or than I want you to be. And you have to put up with me. When I do things that I shouldn't do, we have to put up with each other. I love how realistic Paul is in this. He knows we're not going to nail this stuff. But he says sometimes the key to unity is us just being a forgiving, gracious, loving people who put up with each other's mess. And so in these first three verses, Paul really lines out what what is it that we're called to be united and then in the second three verses he goes on to reveal the deeper meaning why it is so important that we as christians be people of unity verse four he says there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all now abby read that earlier and pointed out the repetition there. And you do. One, 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 one. You sound like a broken record just reading those few verses. And, and what's interesting is that Paul shows us the reason why we have... To overlook our mess, overlook each other's stuff, and be patient You're the reason why we can. And it's not because we have everything in common. It's not because we're all going to share the same political views. It's not because we're all going to have the same taste in movies. It's not because we're all going to love pickles. Our unity doesn't come from us even having the same theological beliefs 100% of the time. No, the source of our unity is our united God. Notice the the Trinity speak here. The, the, the three persons of God. He talks about one Spirit, the Holy Spirit. One Lord, Jesus. One God, God the Father. So we worship a God who is three persons in one being. Our God has eternally existed as three in one. And there exists perfect unity, perfect relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. And so our united three-in-one God is our model, is our example for what we should be. And so if we as humans were meant to walk on this earth and be His image bearers by being a united people, we reflect the unity of our God. And so He is the one who calls us to unity, who models unity, and He is the one who draws us together. Because we're all filled with the same Spirit. We all are saved by the same Jesus. And we are all under the same authority of the same Heavenly Father. And when we live peaceable, humble, forgiving lives as a church family, we reflect the unity of our God. And our unity was meant to be this constant reminder to us and also a constant powerful example to the world who doesn't know this God. And so we must value unity because the world needs to know what our God is like. And so if we want to be a united people, we will only accomplish that by reflecting God's unity with one another.
1: Thank you. Yeah, give him a hand. He worked hard on that. He did a good job. So my name is Warren Brosey, and I'm glad to see you all here. We're going to keep going in our scripture. We reflect God's unity by sharing our gifts to build one another up. We reflect and become a united people by sharing our gifts to build one another up. I want to f- invite you to follow along in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 13. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean but, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There in verse 7 it says that Christ measures out his grace to us. He's measured out grace to us. This theme of grace is, is found 12 times in Paul's letter. Here in Ephesus, 12 times it starts out, it bookends the letter in chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can go to the last verse of his letter, chapter 6, verse 24. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And then in chapter 2, verse 5, it says, for it is by grace you have been saved. He continues on in verse 8 of that same chapter, Ephesians 2, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So we're saved by God's grace, and through the grace of Jesus, he measures it out and gives us Gifts, And if you keep walking through the, our text here in Ephesians 4, around verse 8, it says that, doesn't it say that he ascended on high and gave gifts to, to men? And that's, he's quoting from Psalm 68. Psalm 68, it's this great victory psalm of God's power, and he's ascending on high as king in Jerusalem. And Paul tweaks the language a little bit, but earlier it says that he is a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows, He sets the lonely in families and leads the prisoners out with singing. And then it says, and he gives gifts, or he actually receives gifts. He receives the treasure when you conquer. And then as a good king, he shares those gifts. And that's the message of Psalm 68. And some of those gifts, it says, he gave, Christ himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, So, a prophet, or apostles and prophets, in chapter 2, he says that's the foundation of the church. Those apostolic leaders, those 12 that, that were with Jesus and a few others that saw the risen Christ and were inspired to write down a lot of our New Testament. But an apostle simply just means someone who is sent, could be a missionary in a way. The prophets were also inspired by God to preach, to proclaim his message. Sometimes they predicted future events, but sometimes it's just speaking forth the message, kind of like what's happening right now. We're just prophesying. We're speaking forth the message of God. There's evangelists. It's someone who speaks good news. Don't you like an evangelist? Come tell you good news. And so some people say, well, an evangelist is is a guy that has a fast car and three good sermons. That's back in the old days. But an evangelist really is just someone who speaks the good news of Jesus. And he tells Timothy in this same city, and in his letter to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. You stay and teach good news. And then he says, and there's pastors and teachers. So where we get our word shepherd, shepherd or a pastor or a teaching pastor could be some of those. And so Christ gave these leadership type gifts. And so can I just give a shout out and say thank you to our elders and deacons of these congregations right now? You've had a a hard couple years to lead your church through. And I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Christ has given himself gifts and leaders to his people. Why? Why? To equip God's people for works of service. I can't do all this by myself. We had a whole host of people that are using their gifts today, and we praise God for that. But to equip God's people for works of service or works of ministry, it's where we get the word deacon. And so it's to, to build up the body of Christ. The reason God gave us these gifts, we share these gifts, to build up one another. And I'm hoping that today you're going to feel like you've been encouraged, you've been built up, and that we have some opportunities to, to continue to, to work together, that we're not alone. I'm sure it's probably been done, but I don't know that anyone who has built a house all by themselves. Can you think about just from start to finish one person doing every single thing? Maybe it's been done, but I think even Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett had someone to teach them something somewhere. They showed him how to sharpen an axe. And, and maybe you had to go to get your materials, but how did those materials get to the store if someone didn't bring them to you? And so I've got different tools here that uh, kind of remind us, you know, what it would take to, to build some things or build a house. You know, you've got a square and shovel. You've got to dig stuff. You're going to have to hammer some stuff. There's a square. There's a measuring tape. It's sure nice having that other person holding the chalk line, isn't it? Let's be honest. And so it's hard to build a house all by yourself. How much more so is it hard to build a church all by yourself? And that's why God has given us gifts of grace. He's given each one of us spiritual gifts. And I want a quick announcement here in a couple weeks at Berlin Church, 9 o'clock, October 2nd. The, in the sanctuary, we're going to have our three colors of your gifts class. It's where you find out your spiritual gifts. It's through natural church development, and I know Loami's done some of that as well. So if you don't know your spiritual gifts, that's one way. Find out what you're gifted at and use that for God's glory to build up his church, build up one another. Fred Craddock tells the story of a time early in his ministry. He said it was before he went up to minister in the Appalachian Mountains. He was serving at a church in Watts Bar Lake between Chattanooga and Knoxville, Tennessee. I think that's God's country over there. And it was their tradition of this church at Watts Bar Lake. On Easter, they had baptisms. They baptized like we do, baptism by immersion. And so they had baptism that evening at sundown, Watts Bar Lake. And Craddock's there on the sandbar, and he's watching the baptisms and helping, and the r- ritual was, that after they were baptized, they had made booths there and kind of hung some blankets over to go change their clothes, and then they would have a, have a circle around the fire, and they'd warm up by the campfire after their baptism. And there'd be singing, and they'd be cooking supper, and it was just a holy moment for the church that night. And Craddock finally gets his clothes changed, and he gathers the, himself with the circle of believers, and... Glenn Hickey, it was always Glenn Hickey, he would introduce the newly baptized, give them their name, where they're from, their work. And then the ritual continued at their church, where they introduced themselves. And it goes something like this, my name is, and if you need any washing or ironing, let me know. Next person in the circle from the church. My name is, and if you need someone to chop some wood, I'll be here for you. And the next one says, my name is, and if you need someone to babysit your kids, I'd be happy to watch your kids. My name is, and if you need someone to repair your car, my name is, and if you ever need anyone to sit with the sick, my name is, and if you need someone to take you to town, if you need a car to get back and forth to town, and every single person introduced themselves to their new brothers and sisters in Christ. And then the ritual continued. Everybody knew this, but for Craddock, he was new to the, knew the ritual. Uh, it was Percy Miller. And Percy Miller had his thumbs and his bib overalls. And he would said, time to go. And everybody went home. Except for Percy Miller and the preacher. And Craddock's just soaking this in, figuring out what just happened Here. And Percy Miller in his big shoes, kicking some sand over the coals of the dying fire, he says, Craddock, people don't get any closer than this. There's a name for that. Little towns and villages, they have a name for that. Watts Bar Lake had a name for that, and they call it church. Berlin Christian and Lowami Christian, we have a name for that too, don't we? We call it Church. If you were in that circle that night, how would you introduce yourself? My name is, and if you need anyone to, what would you say? Jesus has measured out grace to give us gifts that leads to service to build up the body of Christ, which ultimately leads us to maturity. Michael, come, bring us home.
2: Like Warren said, my name is Michael Hinnin, one of the ministers at Berlin Christian Church, and I know what you're thinking, oh my goodness, there's another one. The food will still be warm, I promise, when we get done. But how do we become a united people? We've talked about how we become a united people by reflecting God's unity with one another, by sharing our gifts with one another. And for verses 14 through 16 of our passage, we'll talk about by growing in maturity. With one another. In fact, verse 14 is a continuation of verse 13, which tells us that the goal of our gifts and talents and abilities is for the spiritual unity and spiritual maturity of the church. So if you have your Bibles open, go ahead and turn them to verses 14. We're going to start in verse 13 and go through 16. Here's what Ephesians 4 says. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God... From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So how do we become a united people? By growing in maturity with one another. And before Paul tells us how that happens, he kind of gives us a ridiculous picture of what happens to us if we do not grow in our maturity. By a raise of hands, how many of you in here have ever been to the ocean? Okay, most of us, and then the rest of you, I'm sure you have seen a picture of the ocean or a video of the ocean. The ocean is powerful, it's majestic, it's sometimes scary. Okay, so put that over here on the left. Then on the right, I want you to picture a baby, a cute little Gerber baby, the cutest baby you've ever seen in your life. And so I want you to imagine this helpless little baby going out in a boat with their parents. They go out into the middle of this powerful ocean and they just toss the baby into the middle of the sea. Yeah, what the, that's the picture that Paul is giving us here. A a picture of this baby being blown back and forth, tossed back and forth by the wind and the waves. And Paul is saying, hey, that's you and me when we don't grow up in the faith. That's you and me. When we don't grow in understanding the faith, we fall into the lies of the world. We begin to believe the lies, and we're tossed back and forth by these lies. Lies like things that, that Jesus, he isn't really God. He's just a good moral teacher. Or lies about ourselves where we say, oh, only, the only thing that God wants is for us to be happy and to follow our hearts, even though God cares more deeply about our holiness, and following His desires. And so we get this picture from Paul telling us, hey, don't be a baby. Paul is channeling his older brother here. I have an older brother two and a half years older than me. He would say this to me all the time. Don't be a baby. Instead, grow in your maturity. But how do we do that? Well, Paul tells us that in verse 15. Look at verse 15 with me. He says this. He says, instead... Speaking the truth in love, we will grow in every. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. And so, if we want to be mature followers of Jesus, if we want to be united, then we must speak the truth in love. It it literally says, "truthing in love." If we want to grow in maturity, we must both speak the truth and also live out the truth. The only way for us to combat the lies of this world is by the truth. That's why a couple chapters later in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, where Paul is talking about the armor of God, he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. To be mature, growing Christians, we must fiercely hold on to the truth. We must diligently look into God's word and learn more about the truth. Otherwise, we'll be immature and we'll be tossed around by the lies of the world. And so often I hear people with a great, uh, they have a great heart. They say, well, we don't really need to learn much anymore. We just need to love people. And I get that perspective. But the only way that we can truly understand what love is, is by knowing the truth, by looking at Jesus. Because Jesus' definition of love, willingly sacrificing yourself for the benefit of the world, is much different than our world's perspective on love. And so we must diligently search for and know the truth. And then, Paul says, not just know the truth, but you must live it out with love. For Paul, and in the Bible, truth is always accompanied with, lo- with love. And so Paul, he ends where he begins. In verse 2, Paul told us to bear with one another in love. In verse 15, he tells us to speak the truth in love. And here in verse 16, as he concludes the passage, he tells us to build up one another in love. Verse 16 says, From him, Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. These last two verses remind us that our quest for unity can only be solidified in Jesus. Our quest for unity can only happen if Jesus is our glue, our sole focus. He is the model of truth for us. The one who tells the whole world, he says says some hard things. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But not only did Jesus speak the truth, he then lived out that truth in love. By dying for you and me while we were still his enemies, he sacrificed himself for us, took our punishment upon himself so that we could be free. And so in this quest for unity, we must imitate Jesus and focus on him. Otherwise, our efforts for unity are in vain. Otherwise, our our efforts for maturity are in vain. I remember in fifth grade, Uh, My mom was a teacher at Flint Hills Elementary School, and so what that meant for me was after school, I could just roam the hallways. It was awesome. I felt like I owned that school. and. And my best friend, Barrett, at the time, his mom also was a teacher at the school, so we could just do whatever we wanted. Really, what we typically would do is go into the computer lab and play games, but, you know, we felt like we could do whatever we wanted. And so I remember in fifth grade, after school one day, we were going to the water fountain, and I shoved him, and I said something to him I shouldn't have said. It wasn't a cuss word, but I shouldn't have said it. And all of a sudden, I just hear this deep, booming voice. Michael! Michael! get over here. Like, well, that wasn't my mother, but that was another scary voice. Across the hall from the water fountain was our guidance counselor's office. And our guidance counselor was an intense dude. He was one of those coaches who would get in your face and just yell at you. That was our guidance counselor. And so I I put my head down and just kind of slumped over to his office Waiting for a scolding, and I did receive a scolding, but he basically said this: "He said, Michael, what are you doing? Why are you talking like that? When are you going to grow up?" The last couple years before that, um, I had gotten in trouble because of some of the words that I had said, and had gotten in school suspension. And this guidance counselor, he he saw me where I was at in my childish ways. And he knew I could be better. He knew I could grow up. And so can I just play the guidance counselor today for us? When are we going to grow up? When are we going to grow up in our maturity in the faith? When are we going to grow up and be the people, the united people of God that he has called us to be? Thankfully for us, Paul lays out two action steps that we can take to grow in maturity and unity. The first action step is that we grow in knowing the truth. We grow in knowing the truth. So how are you being intentional in growing in the truth? Do you have a small group or a Bible study that you're a part of? Are you using resources like right now Media or or the Bible app? Are you daily diving into God's Word? Because until we do those things... We will stay babies in the faith. And then the second action step we can take is by sharing our gifts with one another, what Warren was talking about. How are you sharing your gifts for one another? Because not only will you grow in your maturity as a follower of Jesus, but the church will be built up in love as well. When I talk to teenagers all the time and I talk about using their gifts with them, so many of them, they just say to me, well, Michael, I don't know what I'm good at. I don't know what my gifts and talents are. I, I, just, I just don't know how. And if that's you today, let me just encourage you to, A, maybe go to that three colors of your gifts class. But B, maybe more simply, just talk to the people who love you and know what your gifting is. And that will help you know, how can I share my gifts with the church and other people. Because until we do those two things, we will stay immature. We'll stay babies in the faith, and our unity will never happen. As I look out over these two congregations, serving the same community on the same mission to make disciples for Jesus, I can't help but think about Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 17 through 19. This is Paul's prayer for us and for the church at Ephesus. Here's what he says starting in verse 17. He says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, not being tossed back and forth, but rooted and established, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Church, that is our prayer. And so let's use our gifts, let's grow up, and let's live in unity together on the same mission for Jesus. Because our united God calls us to be a united people. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. And I just thank you for all of these people here today. Thank you for this act of unity, and I just pray that as we go from here, it wouldn't just be something we do once a year together, but this would be something that we do in our communities together, knowing that we are rooted and established in your love, King Jesus. Help us to walk with you every single day. All for your glory, we pray. Amen. Uh, as we prepare for communion in just a moment, I just want to let you know that if you have the Holy Spirit stirring in your heart and you'd like to talk with someone or if you'd like someone to pray with, Warren, Anthony, and I will be up here at the front of the stage. We will be here ready to pray for you.